Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we talk about your super gut with Dr. William Davis. Big media, broadcast and print, no longer like people like me or you on TV or because we potentially antagonize the interests of big pharma, their $6 billion a year advertiser. And so while I was on Dr. Oz four times, CBS this morning numerous times, a lot of the more other morning shows, all doors got slammed shut a few years back. I noticed it when Undoctored came out and I thought it was just me, but it's not just me. It's all authors on health. I even had a, somebody in publishing say this to me, you know, if we can't make money on books on health, maybe we won't print books on health. So big pharma has in effect strangled big media and big media has gone along with it. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you again for pressing play today. We are super grateful. Whether you are driving to work, driving home from work, that's probably even better, walking your dog, washing dishes, working out, just hanging out on your couch listening. Thank you so much. We are so committed to getting you out new episodes every Monday, every Wednesday, and Friday, three times per week. Today, we have Dr. William Davis, MD, who's a world-renowned preventative cardiologist. And he's going to talk all about his latest book, Super Gut, Reprogram Your Microbiome to Restore Health, Lose Weight, and turn back the clock. Hmm. We all want to do that. That is for sure. The gut is so important, the gut microbiome. We're going to talk about the connection between the gut and the brain and the vagus nerve that connects both of these, let's call them systems. We're going to talk about prebiotics, probiotics, fiber. The problem with most probiotics, how to find the right probiotic. He also discusses Three main nutrients, he calls them lost nutrients, to restore, reverse, prevent insulin resistance. You'll hear about those three. Dr. William Davis is also the author of Wheat Belly. In that book, and I talk about this a lot, he shared that two slices of whole grain, heart healthy, I'm putting that in uh, quotation marks, heart healthy wheat bread spikes your glucose as high as a 12 ounce can of soda or a Snickers bar. I asked him if he still stands by that, and you'll hear his answer. We talk about why antibiotics wipe out the immune system and how they're just so overly prescribed and what they're doing to destroy the gut. We get into artificial sweeteners. We get into vitamin D. We get into 
gallstones. Super interesting to hear how gallstones develop. It's not fat. It's something else, which you'll hear about. And we talk a lot about what his book is heavily focused on, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And he says 50% of people who have fatty liver have SIBO. And going back to the antibiotics conversation, he also said in the United States, by the age 40, most people have taken 30 courses of antibiotics. You'll learn more about that. And he also talks about the benefits of keto, the benefits of quality fat, and the dangers of rancid fats. So I can't wait to bring him on. We had a fun conversation. His knowledge is top-notch. His energy is amazing. You're going to love this conversation. Hey, before I bring him on, I want to take a minute here to give a shout out to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from URS95 titled Fasting. So interesting and informative. Thank you. Love the different topics and experts every week. Love that you walk the walk too and changed your life. Thank you so much for that rating and review and that comment and for listening and taking the time to leave that. We do, do talk about different topics and yep, you got to live it to lead it. Like Paul Check said, don't share it if you don't wear it. So anything I share, I've done myself or I'm currently experimenting with and I'm sharing my experience. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to today, please do so right now. It really helps the show grow. And hey, maybe I'll read your rating and review on the next interview. The average person consumes enough plastic in a week to build a credit card. About five grams is what studies estimate, which builds a credit card. It's not just plastic. It's your receipts from your grocery store that you touch with your fingers. It's your household cleaning supplies. It's the silver amalgam fillings in your mouth. It's other sources like mold in the environment. But how do you know if this is your problem? How do you know if you have a toxicity issue? That's where I put together a free toxicity quiz. It'll take you about two minutes to complete this quiz. I'm gonna ask you a few questions. At the end of the quiz, you're going to get a score. It'll either score you with low toxicity, moderate toxicity, or high toxicity. It'll take you two minutes to complete. It's completely free, and you can take the quiz right now over at ToxicMiami.com. No, you do not need to live in Miami to take the quiz. It's an online quiz, but it's ToxicMiami.com. I will also drop the link down below in the podcast notes. All right, let's talk about your super gut with Dr. William Davis. Dr. William Davis, MD, is a renowned preventative cardiologist and author of the groundbreaking number one New York Times bestselling book, Wheat Belly. Three other New York Times bestsellers, Wheat Belly Cookbook, Wheat Belly 30 Minutes or Less Cookbook, Wheat Belly Total Health, and several other books, including Wheat Belly 10-Day Grain Detox and Undoctored. He is a graduate of the St. Louis University School of Medicine with training in internal medicine and cardiovascular disease and advanced training in angioplasty at the Case Western Reserve University Hospitals, where he also served as director of the Cardiovascular Fellowship and Assistant Professor of Medicine. He lives in Fox Point, Wisconsin. Here's Dr. William Davis. Dr. William Davis, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you, Ben. Glad to be here. I was just telling you offline, I'm a big fan of your work from your previous books, Wheat Belly, Undoctored, and now you have this amazing book called Super Gut. And we're going to dive deep into your brand new book, which is out now. 
Before we do, Doc, I'd love to get into your, your story. You know, why did you become obsessed with the gut? And I know your background is a cardiologist. So what's, what's your backstory? Well, you know, with the success of the wheat belly lifestyle of thousands of people doing this thing where you eliminate this creation of modern agribusiness called wheat, and we also address a handful of nutrients that are just not well supplied by a modern lifestyle, as you know, like magnesium. We, by necessity, Ben, we have to drink filtered water. You can't go to the lake, stream, or river, because if you did, you'd get <laughs> sewage and herbicide, pesticide runoffs. We have to supplement magnesium. Most of us living, you, you live in a tropical climate. I live in a very northern climate where even if it's a July day, you often don't get sufficient sun exposure to activate D in the skin. Of course, much of the year, the sun's much too weak. Mm-hmm. And of course, we wear clothes over much of the surface area. And as we age, we lose the ability to activate vitamin D in the skin like we did when we were younger. So we supplement vitamin D. And there's a few others. But nutrients not lacking in the diet, but lacking in modern life. And all those nutrients, by the way, synergize to reduce insulin resistance, which is a very, very important thing to do in modern life because much of the world now is insulin resistant, the process that leads down the path to type 2 diabetes, obesity, hypertension, coronary disease, Alzheimer's, dementia, cancer, et cetera. So having control over insulin resistance is a very big advantage. Well, people all did this. And they come back and they say things like, hey, I lost 57 pounds doing this. Didn't even, never cut my calories, was never hungry. My hypertension is gone. I'm off three uh, blood pressure medications. My fatty liver is reversed. I'm no longer a type 2 diabetic. I'm off insulin and some of the other injectable drugs. But people also said this, I lost 57 pounds, but I need to lose another 35. And I'm, I'm plateaued, I'm stuck or somebody who was a type two diabetic and had a horrendous hemoglobin A1C, a long-term measure of blood sugar, way in the, in the uh, stratospheric range, like 12.7, which is a, a disaster. They do the basic program, comes down maybe to 5.9, much better, but not perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect would be 5.0% or less. Or somebody has an autoimmune disease, a common example is rheumatoid arthritis. They'd say, you know, my pain swelling is so much better. I'm off that biologic. You're saying me $2,000 a month in copay. And I'm off the prednisone that was making me fat and diabetic. I, but I stay on the proxen because it, I do have a little bit of a flare up now and then. So the question I asked was, why? What are we not doing? Now, the basic program, Ben, did include a high potency multi-species commercial probiotic fermented foods, and prebiotic fiber. So there was an attempt, but it became clear that was not enough. And so when we started poking around the microbiome, it became clear, Ben, that there's a ton more you could do. And in most instances, when you did that, people finally said, yep, my weight loss plateau is broken. My hemoglobin A1C is now 4.7%. My rheumatoid arthritis is now gone. So I think we got our finger on the, the thing that was lacking, additional efforts to address this disrupted this massively disruptive thing in modern people, the microbiome. I love the way you describe that. So people were getting good results, but they wanted to go from good to great. And by addressing the microbiome, which you do in your book and with your work, that's where you take them from getting good results to great results to everlasting results. And in your book, you mention the difference between the DNA we get from our parents and our grandparents and our ancestors that, that are passed on versus our current microbiome, how that's vastly different than the microbiome of my grandparents and my great-grandparents. Could you get a little bit into that? 
Yeah, you know, with each successive generation, Ben, the microbiome gets worse and worse and worse. And it's extreme if we compare our microbiomes to the bunch of uh, indigenous populations around the world that have had their microbiomes examined, like the Anomami in the Brazilian rainforest, the Matzas in the highlands of Peru, the Maasai in Kenya, the Hadza in Tanzania, the Malawi in Eastern Africa, the Mori in New Zealand, many others, several others. They have very different microbiomes. These are the populations of humans who've never taken an antibiotic, who don't get exposed to glyphosate in Roundup. They don't have other herbicides, pesticides in their food, air, and water. They don't take stomach acid blocking drugs. They don't mm -hmm. take anti-inflammatory drugs. They don't get synthetic additives in their, their foods. And their microbiomes, very different. They have great many more microbes than we have. They have different species that we don't have. And oddly, when you compare the microbiomes of all those different cultures who don't contact with each other, some are on different continents, and of course don't have airplanes and jets or boats, but their, their microbiomes are oddly similar to each other, very closely similar. So it's, it's presumed by microbiologists and anthropologists that they represent, that represents the microbiome, that it, how it used to be, so-called Stone Age microbiome. But each successive generation, from your great-grandparents to your grandparents to your parents to you, and then you to your children, there's a degradation in the quality of the microbiome. Fewer species, less diversity among species, and proliferation of unhealthy microbes. And it's because of all those things uh, I just listed, the exposure to antibiotics, drugs, additives. Antibiotics are probably at the top of the list for things that really disrupt the microbiome. So your listeners should know that most people by age 40 in, in the U.S. have taken 30 courses of antibiotics. It's crazy. There are 800 prescriptions for antibiotics written every year for every 1,000 people. Now, there's a time and place where you need them. You know, if you had pneumococcal pneumonia, you can't breathe, <laughs> your fever of 104, you need an antibiotic. But they're also dispensed, as estimated by the CDC, 30 to 50% of all antibiotics dispensed are inappropriate and unnecessary and of no benefit to the recipient. For instance, you have an upper respiratory viral infection. You got a cough, dry cough, then the doc, your primary care doctor says, here, take this prescription for Zithromax just in case it becomes bacterial. Mm -hmm. Not recognizing that that one course of antibiotics you probably cannot fully recover from. That is, you, you kill off species in your microbiome that can't return. Like Just like if you have a pile of rags in your garage, it doesn't turn into rats, right? <laughs> you can't create species. You can't recreate species. And so we, we've been throwing something bombs into our microbiomes and just thinking that the only consequence was diarrhea. And of course, that is simply not true. Yeah, you know, that you make a fair point. You, they're prescribing antibiotics for urinary tract infections. It's so commonly prescribed. And even if you're not actually prescribed it and taking it, in the book, you make the case for animals that are pumped full of antibiotics. We're eating these caged animals, and there's it's almost impossible to escape it. So we have two options. Either we could go live with those tribes and be isolated from the world and restore our microbiome, or we could identify the hidden and stressors going on, antibiotics, herbicides, pesticides, glyphosate, wheat, processed foods, inflammatory fats that you spoke about in the book, and we could start removing that. One thing I wanted to ask you is, you said it's almost, you know, 
it's almost impossible to restore the gut back to where it was before the antibiotics. Now, let's say somebody followed your program, they did all the right protocols, and they've been doing this for quite some time. I mean, what, what amount of time would it take if somebody does everything right to get it back as closely as possible, the gut, to where it was before a round of antibiotics, for example? You know, it's not clear that we can do that. But you can try. I think the microbiome almost becomes a career of its own. <laughs> that is, it's it's not something you take. A, people say, just give me the pill, right? Well, no, it doesn't work that way. It's a matter of a, it's a it's a combination of things. I would say typically, it depends on the the measure you're following. If your measure is getting rid of irritable bowel syndrome, probably take a few months. Okay. If your interest is uh, triggering weight loss, probably a few weeks to months. So it all depends on what it is you're trying to achieve. Uh, you know, but this raises a question. Should you and I and your listeners mimic the microbiome, say, of those primitive cultures? Well, probably not. You know, their microbiome is to some degree an adaptation to their un unique environments. Uh, and we, of course, don't live that way. Maybe we don't need all those microbes. But there are some questions that are unsettled. For instance, they have a whole bunch of these species like treponema species. And we have none of them except for the one that causes syphilis. <laughs> they have a lot of Prevotella, and we don't. But there are some microbes that are clear that we really should restore. And these typically are the microbes that are very sensitive to, uh, to standard or common antibiotics. My favorite is Lactobacillus reuteri, R-E-U-T-E-R-I, named after the German microbiologist who discovered this microbe in 1962, Dr. Gerhard Reuter. Well, back then in the 60s, he found it commonly in everyday people. He had no problems identifying rotary in people's stool or other sources. As his career went on, he only died recently. As his career went on, he had a greater, harder and harder time finding people who carried it. And then several studies have suggested that almost all of us have lost it. Hmm. Well, rotary is exceptionally sensitive to antibiotics common ones like ampicillin. So if you took ampicillin, which is very common for upper respiratory viral infection, you killed off your rotary, and so most people don't have it anymore. But it's one of those microbes that when you restore, all kinds of fantastic things happen. Because one of the things this microbe does is it oddly takes up residence in the upper GI tract, not just the colon. And it sends a signal to the brain via the vagus nerve a retrograde signal up the vagus nerve to the brain, and it tells your hypothalamus and pituitary to release the hormone oxytocin. Mm. And I bet most of your listeners know what oxytocin is. It's the hormone of love and affection and empathy. And so people do this. They restore rotary, and they indeed, they tell me, thousands of them, oh, yeah, I like my spouse better. I like my family better. They don't annoy me as much. I like my coworkers better. I understand other people's points of view better. But there's also effects that go beyond the social and emotional effects. The ladies go berserk because they hear that oxytocin also increases the deposition of collagen in their dermal layer of skin. So they start to lose wrinkles. They have moister skin. There's an acceleration of healing. There's deeper sleep. I'm a chronic insomniac, Ben. Before Rotary, I relied on high doses of melatonin, like horse doses of melatonin to sleep. How, how much were you taking? 15 milligrams, sometimes 20. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you're left hungover the next day. Well, with the rotor, I, I don't take anything, but I sleep nine hours straight through vivid dreams. And those of us with, with actigraphic devices, like Apple Watches and Whoop and Fitbit, 
we'll see a lengthening of the REM period of sleep also, the restorative phase of sleep that helps you maintain mental health. So deeper sleep, longer sleep, your appetite is cut back, food still tastes great, but you're just not that interested in food as much. There's a restoration of youthful muscle and strength, which can be very dramatic. There's an improvement in the immune response. There's an increase in libido. So when you think about this, Ben, so restoring this one lost microbe, lactobacillus rotari, brings with it smoother skin, restoration of youthful muscle and strength, preservation of bone density. Failed to mention that one. Very important for the ladies. Mm-hmm. Increased libido. I don't think it's a stretch to say that what happens with restoration of this one microbe, there's many others, is reversing aging by at least a decade or two. And we see it play out in a lot of people's photographs they share with us, where someone who's, say, 65 now looks 45. It's a variable experience, to be sure. But for many people, it is a very impressive experience from restoring one microbe. That's amazing. So you're telling me that it's it's not as easy as just taking probiotics and eating fiber. There's a lot more we have to do. Is this what I'm hearing? <laughs> yeah, that was what frustrated me. You know, when I read uh, books, I have the advantage of uh, more recent science too. But when you read books, and if if all they have to say is take a probiotic and get some fiber, well, you know, there's a ton more you could do. It's like take care of your car make sure you change the transmission fluid. Well, you know, there's a lot more you can do yeah. with your car. There really is a ton of things you can do. Now, in, in regards to probiotics, and I love that you uh, you speak about in the book and you have different recommendations in the appendix. I, I love that you had uh, Sugar Shift in there, who I had Martha Carlin, who helped with the development of that product. And she's actually in my Keto Camp Academy, so I love Martha. She actually emailed me a few weeks ago. She's like, hey, I think you should reach out to Dr. William Davies. He has a new book out. I think you have a good conversation. I'm like, we're actually booked for a, a conversation. So she was already ahead of the game there. But uh, in regards to probiotics, now I know that it's a, it's a billion dollar industry, uh, probably a, a multi-billion dollar industry. And uh, that's why there are so many people pushing it. A lot of uh, people in the health space, fitness space, you know, take your probiotic, eat the fiber. Is there a problem with taking the wrong types of probiotics, like pharmaceutical grade or, or just uh, cheap probiotics for a long period of time, will it potentially, can it potentially create uh, monoculturing in, inside of the digestive system, inside of the gut microbiome? You're right, Ben. There's a lot of problems with the current crop of commercial probiotics. Uh, among them, they often don't specify strain. Now, this is kind of makes people's eyes glaze over, but you need to know the strain. For instance, I have E. coli, you have E. coli, your listeners have E. coli. But if you eat E. coli on contaminated lettuce from cow manure, you can die of that E. coli. Same species, different strain. Another example is lactobacillus rhamnosus GG strain has been shown to be quite effective in shortening the period of diarrhea after an antibiotic, but not other strains of lactobacillus rhamnosus. So most commercial probiotics that contain the species don't tell you what strain. They typically don't put in the GG because the GG is more expensive. And so you buy a, a costly probiotic, and maybe you think it's going to help you get over diarrhea, but it doesn't contain the right strain. So failing to specify strain, major problem. More and more companies are starting to specify strain. Another problem with that is though they start to uh, apply proprietary strain designations. So that if they took, put, took GG, they might call it ABC123, and you can't tell what it is. And you call them and they say, we can't tell you, it's proprietary, very frustrating. Another problem is 
So Martha Carlin and the microbiologist she works with, Dr. Raul Keno, they're champions of an effect called collaborative guilds or consortia. That is, microbes, just like humans, we don't live in isolation. We collaborate. We work with each other. We go to school with each other. We play with, right? Microbes are the same way. And that uh, product you mentioned, Sugar Shift, is a collaborative. It's the only product I know of, Ben, that has actually has a collaborative guild or consortium of bacteria that uh, Raoul has proven collaborate with each other and generate synergistic effects. And we use the sugar shift, and I have no relationship with, with Martha Carlin or Raoul Kenner, except my friends. We gave it to about 20 of our participants in our programs, and these are non-diabetic people saw a drop in blood sugar, fasting blood sugar of almost 10 milligrams per deciliter. Wow. That's huge. Mm -hmm. That's on a par with prescription drugs. But of course, something like sugar shift or a probiotic doesn't cause side effects. You don't have edema, liver <laughs> damage, all the stuff that happens with drugs. Uh, in fact, you get side benefits from these things. So that's another problem, though, with most other probiotics. There's no collaborative effects. Then there's other all kinds of other problems. There are some companies doing double encapsulation because they've been fooled into believing that a probiotic should survive untouched until it gets to the colon, where they think it's supposed to exert most of the effects. Well, that's a big miscalculation because many modern people, by my estimation, a third of all Americans, and I think it's worse than that, one in three people, has a proliferation of unhealthy stool microbes in the small bowel in the 24 feet of small bowel. So you want your, your probiotic to release into the small bowel. You do not want to double encapsulate it, have it released into the colon. And there's some other problems. You make a point though. Will you get a monoculture, like a field of corn or wheat? Probably not because the, the probiotics are not that powerful. Well, I should mention another problem with commercial probiotics is the lack of including what are called keystone species. These are species so important to other species. So my best analogy is plankton in the ocean. Plankton feeds whales, jellyfish, and other filter feeding species. Well, if there's a reduction in plankton, by the way, there is, being a, there is a reduction in plankton because of global climate change, the acidification of the oceans. If plankton goes down, so do whales and jellyfish. So plankton are a keystone or foundational species. Same principle applies to your microbiome. If you lose foundational species, keystone species, you start to lose other species. So restoring those keystone species is very, very important. Unfortunately, some of these probiotics don't pay attention to what are keystone species. Rotorite is a keystone species. Lactobacillus gastri is probably keystone. Acromancy, there's a bunch of these things. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to memorize these things. <laughs> and so I fear that most commercial probiotics are just haphazard slapdash collections of microbes with no, no rhyme or reason to the combination. It'll evolve, Ben, so maybe give it another couple, three, five years, and we will have much better choice. But right now, the choices are very limited. I want to take a quick break here to share with you about the dangers of taking fish oil. I know, shocking. I was somebody who took fish oil every single day for years. And then I came across a ton of research showing the dangers of consuming fish oil. I immediately found an amazing product called Pureform. Pureform is a plant-based omega. And the cool thing about Pureform is that it is uniquely processed with nitrogen to preserve it and make sure it does not 
oxidized. These essential fatty acids are cold pressed and you get the proper balance of omega-6 and omega-3 to feed your cells what it desires. We know that life begins and ends at the cell membrane. And when you have the proper fats, the building blocks for those cell membranes, all of a sudden your fat burning hormones can do its job. So you lose weight. All of a sudden your cells produce energy. So you feel good. So we know that cellular health is key for performance and longevity. So I've been taking Pureform every single day. My dog takes it every single day. So does my girlfriend and my mom. This is how much I love the product. If you want to get your bottle delivered to your door, head over to purelifescience.com. Check them out. Order a bottle or two, and you'll be amazed by how you feel after taking this just after a few days. That is purelifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4 to apply a $4 off coupon. That is BEN, B-E-N, and the number four. International shipping is available. Okay, let's go back into this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. In your book, I love that you talked about gallstones and the mistakes so many people make by following a low-fat, high-carbohydrate, low-calorie approach. And here's here's where I want to bring the conversation to relate it to my specific audience, which is more of a, a low-carb keto audience. And I see this a lot. As a matter of fact, num- the number one struggle I see with people who transition to a higher-fat, low-carb diet is these digestive issues like either constipation or diarrhea a lack of quality bioflow from the liver, and even gallstones. So could you talk about the issue, why, why people actually get gallstones, and what is a smart approach as you're transitioning from a high-carb, low-fat to flipping that around? What is a, is a good way to get into that? Yeah, you're right. It's a very common problem, very alarming for people. But people have fallen into the misinformation of fat causes gallstones. Fat does not cause gallstones. General surgeons, those are the guys who take your gallbladder out, are guilty of saying to people, I'll take, I took your gallbladder out, now make sure you cut your fat. They think that because, because fat brings out the symptoms of gallstones, that it's a cause, it's not a cause. Now, not all the causes have been identified, but there are several causes we do know about because now there have been three studies, not my studies, other people's studies, where they did something really interesting. They took mostly women, but women are much more prone to gallstones than guys, and put on on either a low-fat diet or a low-calorie diet or both, low-fat, low-calorie diet. And then they ultrasounded, very simple test, look at the gallbladder, at day zero, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. A shocking number of these ladies developed gallstones within 30 days and then many more by the end of 90 days. In some of the studies, as many as 55 to 62% of the ladies developed gallstones at the end of three months, an astounding number. Wow. This was very revelatory because it showed how quickly they can form and how awful it is to cut your fat, cut your calories, or worst of all, cut fat and calories. Simple logic. If you cut your calories and or fat, your gallbladder is not prompted to squeeze out its bile because it stores bile. And so you get bile stasis, you get crystallization, you get stone formation. Now, the situation's even worse. If you look at gallstones in modern methods using DNA methods, it looks like gallstones are filled with stool microbes like E. coli and Klebsiella. Now, wait a minute here. The gallbladder empties into the duodenum. 
which is 24 feet above the colon where stool microbes. How did stool microbes get into the gallbladder and the duodenum? Well, it's the uh, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth where stool microbes and other microbes have ascended and now occupy all 30 feet of the, so people who present with gallstones typically also have SIBO. That's simply not addressed. The gallbladder's taken out. And then the surgeon says, make sure you cut your fat, which makes the situation worse. And so my experience has been, if you take out the gallbladder, people typically don't have problems with digesting fat. Now, but let me clarify. So let's say you have a gallbladder and you're a woman who in her 50s, you've struggled with weight, you've had periods of cutting fat and or calories, you develop silent gallstones. Now you, you say, oh, I'm, I'm going to go low carb or keto or whatever. And now you're eating a lot of fat. Well, you're prompting all of a sudden your gallbladder to work like crazy. And some mm -hmm. of those stones are expelled into the bile duct. And that's when you get all the gallbladder pain. And people say, oh, it must be the fat causing the gallstones. No, the gallstones were there all along. The increased squeezing of your gallbladder simply unmasked their presence. So what would be the solution there? Meaning what, what could help with that? Would taking bile salts help? Would increasing your bitter-rich foods, would so just supporting the liver help out? Like what would you recommend somebody do if they are starting keto and they're worried that that might happen to them? Well, it depends on the symptoms because, you know, if you're really having gallbladder symptoms and one of those stones lodges in your bile duct, it is potentially catastrophic. I mean, really bad, really sick, sepsis, peritonitis, and I mean, meaning like drains and all kinds of bad things. So gallstones are not something to fuss with. There's some a track record for use of bile salts. Uh, they're not all that effective. If you can find a gastroenterologist to give them to you, they do sometimes work. But I fear that the key is to not develop gallstones. Mm -hmm. Never cut your fat. Never cut your calories. Eat as dictated by your body. And of course, if we have eliminated wheat, <laughs> the gliadin protein of wheat that is a potent appetite stimulant, that helps also because you're not tempted. You don't have to deprive yourself. The other thing about wheat and grains is uh, you remove wheat germagglutinin, which is completely undigestible by humans. And wheat germagglutinin gluten is a potent blocker of a hormone called cholecystokinin or CCK. Mm. So if I eat some food and it hits my duodenum, the duodenum releases CCK and it tells the gallbladder, release your bile. It tells the pancreas, release your pancreatic enzymes. If you have wheat and related grains in the vicinity, it blocks CCK and it causes bile stasis and pancreatic failure of the pancreas to release its enzymes. And so it's getting rid of wheat and grains, a big step forward addressing your SIBO, a big step forward. But I can't tell you it's easy to reverse gallstones. That I can't tell you. Yeah, uh, that's interesting about the CCK. You mentioned that in the book, cholecystokinin. It probably makes sense why when I used to eat a whole bunch of wheat, I was hungry all the time because CCK make, you know, helps satiate you and helps you feel full. I, I do want to ask you this question and just go back to your other book, Wheat Belly, for a second, and then we'll go back to Super Gut. In the book, Wheat Belly... You talk about, and this I always share this and I always give you credit for it, but you talk about two slices of whole wheat bread and the postprandial glycemic response from two slices of whole wheat bread, how that's equivalent to either um, a 12-ounce can of soda or a Snickers bar. Do you still stand by that? Is that really what you've seen? 
Yeah, you know, if you look at any table of glycemic index in a dietary textbook or any study, you'll see that whole wheat bread has among the highest glycemic indexes of any food. And so it's there in plain sight. It's been known for years. But for some odd reason, you know, most of my colleagues and dietitians have chosen to ignore this simple fact. Mm -hmm. And of course, even worse, people say, okay, well, I'll be gluten-free. And they eat gluten-free breakfast cereals, breads, pasta, bagels. Sugar bombs. Yep. Made with cornstarch, rice flour, tapioca starch, potato flour that, you know, very few things raise blood sugar higher than whole wheat. Well, among the few, rice flour, tapioca starch, (laughs) gluten-free flours. And so that's why people say, oh, I went gluten-free, but I gained 30 pounds and I became Mm -hmm. a type 2 diabetic. You know, those foods are horrible. But... A little understanding can go a long way. It does. You know, it's it's really brilliant marketing. Credit credit to these brilliant marketing companies, but it does us a lot of harm. Okay, so let's talk. Let's talk back to Super Gut. In the book, you talk about um, two essential vitamins and minerals that we want to make sure we have adequate amounts of. And number one, vitamin D, which is actually a steroid hormone, and magnesium. So, what's the role of vitamin D and magnesium with our Super Gut? You know, unknowingly, Ben, so the the four common nutrients that are lacking in modern life that I included in the original Wheat Belly program 11 years ago, and then the Undoctored program, and now I did not appreciate back then that they did all kinds of great things for your health, but they also had a role in microbiome. I did not appreciate that. So vitamin D has been now shown, clearly shown, to amplify the intestinal immune response. Omega-3 fatty acids, EPA, DHA, activate the enzyme intestinal alkaline phosphatase that partially disables the toxins released by some bacteria. The magnesium is an osmotic agent that pulls water into your bowels, and it prevents slowed passage of digested food. If you get really slowed passage from digested food because you got exposed to the gliadin a protein of wheat, which is an opioid, or you take other opioids or have some other reason for slowed transit of your GI tract, you cultivate unhealthy microbes, especially what are called methanogens that produce methane. Taking magnesium accelerates the passage of food through the GI tract, and you're less likely to have slowed transit and methanogenic overgrowth, a different kind of SIBO. Taking iodine ensures that you're not going to get hypothyroidism from lack of iodine. Because when you have hypothyroidism, transit, once again, is slowed, and you cultivate unhealthy microbes. And so I did not know, didn't appreciate back then, that those four nutrients really all each played a role, contributed to maintenance of a healthy microbiome. You have to go further, but there are essential components, basic components for rebuilding a healthy microbiome. Yeah, I love that. And, and vitamin D specifically, not only does it help with your digestive system, I mean, there's so many other benefits to it. And what I've seen, even in Florida, looking at lab work from people who live in Florida or, or states with a whole bunch of sunshine, vitamin D deficiency almost all the time when I'm looking at lab reports, because unfortunately, the range on the lab report is 30 to 90 to 30 to 70. So if you get a 32 or 38 or 42, you know, the standard doctor, the uh, conventional doctor saying you're fine, but that's really a deficiency. We want to get that above 60. And then also I've seen as we lower insulin, it makes vitamin D even more effective, meaning 
they have this inverted relationship. So you could take a whole bunch of vitamin D, eat a whole bunch of vitamin D rich foods. But if, if you don't reduce your insulin, get the gluten out and do the things that you're talking about, it'll be almost impossible to get the optimal vitamin D levels. Have you seen that to be true as well? That's a phenomenon I've not observed, Ben, but very interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I've seen that. And so all the things that you're recommending go hand in hand because you get rid of the wheat, you get rid of these sugar bombs, these gluten-free fake foods, and you eat vitamin D rich foods, supplement with vitamin D. It has a, a great effect. You mentioned already SIBO during this conversation. And in the book, you write a lot about SIBO, which is small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. For somebody who has no idea what that is, they maybe heard what it is. Could you explain what it is? And I know you recommend an amazing new test that's very simple and effective to test to see if you have SIBO. Yeah, so as we lose all those important species in their place, mostly bowel, stool organisms have proliferated, E. coli, Klebsiella, Citrobacter, and many others. And then they ascended up the small bowel. Uh, so it all adds up to 30 feet of microbes occupying your entire GI tract. Now, these microbes, trillions of them, don't live for decades, they live for hours, minutes to hours. And so there's rapid turnover, trillions of these microbes living and dying. When they die, they easily penetrate the small bowel wall because the small bowel only has a fragile single layer mucus barrier. Colon has a two layer, much stronger mucus barrier. That's where microbes are supposed to stay. <laughs> yeah. But when they get up into the small bowel, they're easy both bacteria themselves as well as their breakdown products. Now, those breakdown products are especially important because they enter the bloodstream. This is a process validated by a Belgian group uh, and since validated numerous times in 2007. It's called endotoxemia. But that process now makes clear. This is the thing people call gut leak or intestinal leak for many years, but now it's, it's established fact. The evidence is quite solid. Bacteria break down, release their byproducts into the bloodstream, endotoxemia. But it tells us now how, how and why microbes in the 30 feet of GI tract can be experienced as a skin rash like rosacea or psoriasis, or as a central nervous system or brain process like depression, that's a big one, or Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's dementia or seizures, or a joint and muscle process like fibromyalgia, or rheumatoid arthritis, in other words, it really shines a new light on all those and many other diseases. That so, in other words, if you have, uh, let's say, rheumatoid arthritis that was initiated by SIBO and endotoxemia, and you're taking some drug just to block an inflammatory pathway, but do nothing about the SIBO and endotoxemia, bad things are coming because you didn't address the cause. The doctor did not address the cause, and it can lead to weight gain type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, hypertension, coronary disease, dementia, nerd, other neurodegenerative, a long list of diseases. So you know this, Ben. My colleagues, the mainstream doctors, should be experts at nutrition and nutritional supplements, nutrients, and the microbiome, but they're not. It was not part of their training. But the worst part of it is, is the willful ignorance of things in health because they just don't pay enough. Mm. And so in other words, the, the gastroenterologist more interested in scheduling you for an endoscopy and colonoscopy rather than talking to you about your SIBO and dysbiosis. The cardiologist more important, interested in talking to you about the stress nuclear test that costs up to $14,000 or the heart catheterization that nets about $80,000 for the hospital. 
the bypass surgery goes between $150,000 and $200,000. That versus talking to you about bowel health and getting prebiotic fibers <laughs> and making yogurts. So you can see the problem. But this is why what you're doing, Ben, and other podcasters and YouTubers, what you're doing is so, so important because the doctors have abdicated their responsibilities. And to make it worse, you may have noticed that big media broadcast and print no longer like people like me or you on TV or because we potentially antagonize the interests of big pharma, their $6 billion a year advertiser. And so while I was on Dr. Oz four times, CBS this morning numerous times, a lot of the more other morning shows, all doors got slammed shut a few years back. I noticed it when Undoctored came out and I thought it was just me, but it's not just me. It's all authors on health. I even had a, somebody in publishing say this to me. You know, if we can't make money on books on health, maybe we won't print books on health. Wow. Yeah. It's like Hitler all over again. So it's Big crazy. Pharma has, in effect, strangled big media, and big media has gone along with it. And so that's why I say what you're doing, Ben, other podcasters, et cetera, is so important because – not only are my colleagues not doing their job, big media is not doing their job either. And in fact, they're favoring big pharma. Yeah. Well, that speaks volumes and, and times have changed and it's it, it's been getting worse the last couple of years with uh, what you just mentioned, the censorship and big big pharma, big media. Uh, when I interviewed Dr. Kay Shanahan, I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work. She was the nutritionist for the Lakers. When Kobe Bryant was there, she wrote the book, Deep uh, Nutrition, Fat Burn Fix. But she said this, she said, because I was, we were having a conversation on industrial seed oils and why dietitians and doctors still promote them. And I like that you called those oils out in your book. But she said the American Heart Association is the biggest fake news media in the entire <laughs> United States <laughs> and how they're funding a lot of these studies that these dietitians are looking at and which is why they're promoting like corn oil, canola oil, et cetera, which is exactly to your point. But to close the loop on the SIBO conversation, you in the book, you talk about an easy way to test. Uh, it doesn't have to be something complicated. You talk about the uh, AIR device. Yeah, you know, Ben, this was the device, the AIR device, A-I-R-E. The company is Food Marble. And by the way, this is the old device. The new one came out literally yesterday. Oh, cool. Perfect. <laughs> Dr. Angus Short in Dublin, Ireland. And they shipped out their first batch yesterday, literally. And the new device is, is different colors, black, and it measures both hydrogen gas and methane. This older one just measures hydrogen gas. Hydrogen gas is the dominant gas produced by microbes. But I was guilty, Ben, of thinking that SIBO, 30 feet, trillions of bacteria, was an uncommon thing. And then when I got hold of this in 2018-19, and thousands of people tested their breath for hydrogen gas, I was shocked. It was the exceptional person who tested negative. Wow. So what this is really, it's kind of a sounding device. It doesn't use sound. It uses gas detection. But it, it, in effect, a sounding device to figure out how high up bacteria are. And lo and behold, it is rampant, out of control, very conservatively estimated. 100 million people have it. I think it's more. Wow. I think it's more like 180 or so million people. It's a lot. So at least one in three people have it. And yet my colleagues will continue to treat your hypertension with blood pressure medication, your arthritis with anti-inflammatory drugs, your high blood sugar with blood sugar lowering drugs, even though it's microbes in the GI tract 
at the root cause for many of these conditions. Mm. But it's it's very elegant. It's easy to use. Talks to your smartphone, and the new device gives you levels of hydrogen gas and methane. Dr. Angus George, now my friend, initially invented it to detect hydrogen gas because his wife, his girlfriend, now wife, had irritable bowel syndrome (IBS) and was told to go on a low FODMAPs diet. And he saw how difficult it was for her, and she'd get exposed and have gas and diarrhea, et cetera. So he invented this device to help her navigate. And so it was released initially in 2018 as a device for people with IBS to navigate a FODMAPs, low FODMAPs diet. Well, I got a hold of it, and I called him up. I said, Angus, this is a lot more than that. This is a device to map out SIBO. It's also a device to navigate all food intolerances, People who say, oh, I can't eat nightshades, I can't eat histamine-containing uh, foods, I can't eat fruit, fructose, sorbitol, blah, blah, blah. No, those are all forms of SIBO. Great-grandma had none of these problems. We have them, they're, they're rampant. And you've seen these people. I can eat a list of four foods only. Mm-hmm. Every other food I'm intolerant to. That's not, the problem is not the food. The problem is the massive disruption of the microbiome including proliferation of unhealthy stool microbes in the 30 feet of your GI tract. This is interesting. So how would you use that to identify a food intolerance, a food sensitivity? What, what would be the, the, you would eat the food and test like an hour later? Like, how would you use that? So timing is critical, Ben. So because if you had small bowel, 24 feet of small bowel that did not have unhealthy microbes, you should eat something that microbes like to eat. Let's say um, beans, mm-hmm. legumes, or hummus. So lectins, yeah, something with lectins is I'm, I'm imagining. Not lectins, no, because okay. uh, those are essentially indigestible. But let's say um, uh, inulin in coffee. Okay. If if my bacteria are in my colon, I drink the inulin. It should take a minimum of ninety minutes to get to the colon because it's twenty four feet, right? Mm-hmm. A squiggly small bowel. If I drink that inulin in my coffee and I convert to, say, a high level of hydrogen in 30 minutes, I have bacteria way up high because it can't get to the colon that fast. Mm. Anything, anytime you register a positive, on this device, it's a, it's, a, it's a 0 to 10 scale. If there's a rise of 4, let's say from 2 to 6, or 3 to 7 or 8, that's a positive reading. It means you within the first 90 minutes of consumption, it means you have bacteria high up in your GI tract. And of course, then you take some action to push those creatures back and cultivate healthy species. Then you can test again and see if you've normalized. In other words, if if everybody tests abnormal and stays abnormal, there's something wrong with the test. Yeah. yeah. But people are correcting it and they say, I, I was blowing tens, which is very common. I now blow 1.2 tops and my joint pain is gone. Mm. Or I finally broke my weight loss plateau. Or I finally got my hemoglobin A1C to perfect, below 5.0%. So all those residual problems we saw are broken through by, by doing it. Now, your, your listeners should know, you don't have to buy this device to succeed on this. You can do it without it. And by the way, the conventional answer for SIBO is to prescribe an antibiotic. Well, you know, antibiotics got us here. I'm a little reluctant to say take more antibiotics to solve this problem. It doesn't solve the problem. It just reduces some of the unhealthy bacteria. And of course, the gastroenterologist doesn't tell you how you got it, how to prevent the common recurrences. So we've been doing something different. We went through a period of using herbal antibiotics, and there's some value to that also. 
But I tried something different, Bennett. This, that's preliminary, though. I had not conducted a formal clinical trial yet. But, you know, if you take a commercial probiotic like we talked about for SIBO, will it get rid of your SIBO? No. It typically reduces the bloating, maybe diarrhea a little bit. That's about it. Well, what if we chose microbes that colonize the upper GI tract? That's where SIBO occurs. And what if we chose microbes that produce what are called bacteriocins? These are natural antibiotics effective against the species of SIBO. So I picked three. I picked lactobacillus gasseri. There's a strain of gasseri that takes up residence, upper GI tract, and is a bacteriocin powerhouse, produces up to seven bacteriocins. Our old friend Rotori, lactobacillus rotori, produces up to four bacteriocins, takes up residence, small bowel. And I added bacillus coagulans, a strain of that. And we co-ferment them as yogurt. Now, not, not to be confused with the nonsense you buy in the grocery store. We're going mm -hmm. to ferment it all together, three together, and let it ferment for an extended period. And that's because bacteria, you know, there's no male and female bacteria, right? <laughs> they have asexual reproduction. That is one microbe doubles to become two and so on. So we put in these three microbes, let it ferment for 36 hours. We get several billion bacteria by doing that. Then we consume half a cup a day. And so far, Ben, 90% of people who've done that have converted to H2 negative. Wow. So that's, that's anecdote. Yeah. But so far, I'm very encouraged. I think we have stumbled on a way to use fermented foods like yogurt to get rid of SIBO. And it's just yogurt, so benign. Yeah, interesting. And in your book, you have like the recipes for that. You also have an entire appendix on the SIBO protocol. You have one for H. pylori. You also have a chapter about mucus, which um, maybe we could get into a little bit because you were in, the, in that chapter, you're like, I know you hear the word mucus and you think, ew, this is gross, but it's very important to understand that mucus is, is beneficial. So maybe we could talk about mucus a little bit. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so it's something people say, ew. <laughs> right. Because they think of the stuff you cough up during the flu or something like that. Right, exactly. But mucus is essential. It's in all your mucous membranes. It's lined your airway, your nasal passages, your GI tract. It's a lubricant, but it's also a protective factor. So as I mentioned earlier, the colon is good at making mucus. It has a two-layer, very strong mucus barrier because we know the colon is loaded with uh, stool microbes as well as stool, and you don't want those things entering the bloodstream or the lymph system. The small bowel is not quite as good. It only has a single layer of mucus barriers, much easier to breach by bacteria and their breakdown products. And we're exposed to many things in modern life that screw up the mucus barrier. Uh, emulsifying agents are top of that list. These are additives added to food like peanut butter, and ice cream, ice cream can have several. Salad dressings, other foods that have long lists of ingredients include such things as a polysorbate 80, carboxymethylcellulose. We don't have a full list of all the things that do this, but those are the two worst ones so far. Where does carrageen stand with that? Probably, it's okay. not been formally studied, but it probably does have an emulsification property. Okay. So rule of thumb is don't eat processed foods. You know, just go back to avocados and olive oil and eggs and meats and vegetables so you don't get exposed to the additives because the emulsifying agents, I liken it, Ben, to, you know, if you ever have a dish, a kitchen sink full of greasy dishes and water and you put a drop of dishwashing liquid and you see the oil disperse immediately. 
Well, that's what these emulsifying agents do to your mucus barrier. Not good. And of course, unhealthy microbes erode the mucus barrier, loss of keystone species. There are species that are very good at helping promote mucus production. Uh, there's one called Fecalobacterium. It's very good. You want lots of Fecalobacterium. But if you're not eating properly or you lost it, you're going to have an impaired mucus barrier, and that really impairs health, and it opens the door. It invites diseases like Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, irritable bowel syndrome, as well as emotional effects, anxiety, panic attacks, depression. Yeah, what happens in the gut happens in the brain and vice versa. I've noticed a lot of people have issues with caffeine, especially caffeine in coffee. Now, don't get me wrong. I love myself a cup of quality coffee, but the truth is I've seen so many of my Keto Camp Academy students have a glucose spike from caffeine, knocking them out of fasting or creating some digestive issues, bloating, and most commonly, jitters and irritability. We know excessive caffeine and caffeine sensitivity can cause adrenal problems, which has a lot of negative effects. It makes you more dependent on the caffeine and it puts you in this sympathetic fight or flight state. And for a lot of people, that is problematic. Everyday Dose solves the problem of regular coffee while drastically building on its benefits with added supplements. What I love about Everyday Dose, it's low acidity, cold extracted coffee, and a micro dose of caffeine blended with collagen protein, functional mushrooms, and nootropics which will improve your focus, your energy, and your immunity. I just feel different in a really good way when I have Everyday Dose versus regular coffee. And I want you to experience the same. So if you want to check out Everyday Dose, head over to everydaydose.com slash Ben and use the coupon code KETOCAMP. You're going to get an extra five on the go dose travel pack to take with you anywhere you go. I take these travel packs with me and it is a game changer because when I'm traveling, it's hard to find First of all, a clean cup of coffee, but almost impossible to find coffee with these functional ingredients. So head over to everydaydose.com slash ketocamp. Use ketocamp to get your bonus gift or click the link in the podcast notes down below. I do want to ask you this as we're, we're wrapping up this amazing interview. I, w- I would like to understand, and maybe for the audience benefit too, because re- you mentioned once you take care of SIBO, you see people break through weight loss resistance, those last 20, 30 pounds. I'd like to understand more the relationship between how SIBO may create weight loss resistance and how taking care of SIBO helps somebody break through. What, what is the exact pathway or process there? So people with insulin resistance, that is their brain, muscle, liver, don't respond to insulin. And so the pancreas compensates by increasing production of insulin. So if I took someone who's slender and active, uh, and check their fasting insulin. It's, it's about one or two or three microunits per liter. It's very low. It's near zero. Let's say I took somebody who's got a lot of visceral fat, a big waist, has high blood pressure. Their fasting insulin is not one or two. It's 40, 90. I've seen it. It's crazy. Yeah, it's much higher. Well, when you have high levels of insulin, it causes fat deposition, fat accumulation, and it blocks weight loss. Well, one of the effects of endotoxemia, in fact, the original study from 2007 by Dr. Patrice Kenny in Belgium, that was what they looked at. How much does endotoxemia contribute to insulin resistance? Yep, it does. Endotoxemia is a major driver of insulin resistance and keeps that insulin level up. So you reverse endotoxemia, you reduce endotoxemia, and insulin drops 
and you release weight. So it's a very nice process, as, as well as all the other health benefits of reducing endotoxemia. Right. What, what was the study regarding that? I'd like to put in the notes. I don't recall the title, Ben, but it's Dr. Patrice Cani, C-A-N-I, and it's a paper from 2007 looking at insulin resistance and endotoxemia. We'll get that. Well, Rachel will find that and put it in the notes. Um, okay, that's interesting. That makes total sense to me. Um, now, somebody's probably wondering, all right, we're talking about different bacteria, acromantia. There's others like Firmicutes. And other. how do you, what's the best way to test your gut microbiome? Is a stool test best? And if it is the best way, do you recommend a specific company to, to get that testing done? You know, stool testing, like probiotics, is evolving. And they're not all that, there's some that are pretty good. One of the problems is, is like probiotics, there's some problems. Yeah. One is most of the testing services only drill down to genus. So with a microbe, if, let's say we had Escherichia coli, E. coli. Escherichia is the genus, coli is the species, and then you can have a strain designation like EON1 or something like that. Well, many of the services only tell you genus. Well, that's a problem. Let's take Clostridia. Clostridia can be Clostridia difficile that causes bloody diarrhea after an antibiotic can kill you. There's Clostridium perfringens that causes gas gangrene in war wounds and soldiers. There's Clostridium botulinum that causes botulism. <laughs> but then there's Clostridium butyricum, which is wonderful for health and provides all kinds of health benefits. So if, if you have a stool testing service and they say you have Clostridia, well, which one is it? Yeah, good point. <laughs> so you, you want to get some of the services where they go down to species, maybe even strain. There's only a handful that do that. I use Vibrant Well, uh, the gut tumor from Vibrant Well Wellness Labs. Have you looked at them at all and see how they do it? I'm impressed, Ben. That's probably the best. Okay, the great. Commercial platforms I'm familiar with. It's it's costly, as you know. It's like yeah. seven hundred bucks, but it's probably the best test out there if, if it fits in your budget. Uh, Thrive T H R Y V E is is a close second okay. for ninety nine bucks. So it's pretty good. A lot of those others simply just don't tell you enough, though. Another problem with some of them is they don't tell you how much. So they, if they tell you, for instance, you have acromancia, but they don't tell you how much, what's useless. Or mm -hmm. if they tell you have a pathogenic species, how much do you have? Do you have a lot that's causing health problems or just a teensy-weensy minuscule amount that doesn't matter at all? So all they say is you have X, you have Blaudia, but they don't tell you how much. Mm -hmm. It's useless. And there are services that don't do that yet. So the one you mentioned, Gut Zoomer, is the best as far as far as I know. And Thrive, T-H-R-Y-V-E, is, is a pr pretty close second. Awesome. All right. Well, I want everybody who's listening to go to the link in the notes below. And there's going to be a link to purchase this book right here called Super Gut. It's available on paperback, Kindle, on Audible. I saw it was available on Audible as well. The book is amazing. It even talks about artificial sweeteners, some of the approved natural sweeteners that we align with, like um, monk fruit and stevia, et cetera. It has recipes. It's a four-week guide. Last question I'm going to ask you. This conversation came up when I interviewed Dr. Tom O'Brien, who I imagine you're familiar with his work. He brought up the question that he says he's at dinner with other fellow uh, people who are studying the gut microbiome, and the same conversation comes up, and it's this question. Are we humans with a whole bunch of... Um, species and uh, a vast array of microbiome. I forget the, the term he used. Are we humans with a whole bunch of bacteria or are we 
bacteria living in a human body. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure the answer is the chicken egg thing, but it is clear right. that we really are crawling with microbes. And if we ignore them, you know, I, I microbes are a big determinant of the internal dialogue we have in our brains. And I really believe it makes a difference between being content and happy or being violent and hateful. It's that stark. And so we've entered a time, of course, where there is a lot of hate. And there's always been hate among humans. But it seems to have gotten kind of a megaphone lately. It's gotten worse and it's become more widespread. I don't think this is true in the 50s. And I think at least part of it is due to the disruption of the microbiome. You know, just restoring rotary, that alone is a big effect. Restoration of empathy, concern for other people, being closer to other people more intense love and affection. So I think that's a big step in the right direction. Yeah, amen to that. That's why you have such an amazing attitude and energy. You got your rotor eye going on. <laughs> we all <laughs> want to have the energy that Dr. William Davis has. Where else can they go check you out? Uh, you want them to go to Amazon to get your book? Is there somewhere else? So share a little bit about where they could find you. Well, the books in all major bookstores, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, all that kind of stuff. There's also more information on my new website. I had a bunch of websites and Facebook. I kind of consolidated a lot of stuff, Ben, and it's called Dr. Davis, Dr. Davis, InfiniteHealth.com, including I have a membership site, The Inner Circle, where we do this every typically Wednesday night for a couple hours. I've got it tonight. We talk for a couple hours and we talk about the microbiome and vitamin D and diet and all that kind of stuff. About 70 to 100 people come on. So there's, there's that if anybody wants a real intense experience. Uh, but there's also the blog, the Dr. Davis Infinite Health blog, where I talk about, there's over 2,000, there's about 2,000 articles on there. Wow. Talking about all these kinds of issues, including new ideas. Like I, I'm just about to post a conversation on Teresobacter. It's a unique microbe, also re recovered from ancient mummies. Interesting. <laughs> called Teresobacter sanguinis, that appears to be, you know, we, you've heard this, serotonin is necessary in the brain for maintenance of mood and prevention of depression. So the current crop of selective serotonin uptake inhibitors, SSRIs, are meant to increase serotonin. What well, wasn't clear, 90%, you've likely heard this, 90% of the body's serotonin comes from the GI tract. Well, it's become clear also that 50% of that production from the GI tract is under the control of microbes. Mm -hmm. And a group at UCLA have narrowed it down to this one species, Teresobacter sanguinis, is responsible for serotonin. Well, we don't have that yet. I don't know if it'll make a good yogurt. <laughs> get our hands on it and think about that. This is why I'm so excited, Ben, because it's potentially things like that and Rotary and other things. I think they're going to eclipse pharmaceuticals mm. because they've be they're becoming so powerful. We potentially have in our future a microbial means of addressing depression. I think that's a big deal. Yeah, especially in this day and age. That's amazing. Well, thank you, Doc, for being always on the cutting edge of the research and bringing us your amazing attitude, energy, experience. Uh, it was just an amazing conversation, the uh, interview I was looking forward to since we booked it. I, I loved your work. I've been loving your work for several years and grateful for this book. Everybody go get the book. And I want to thank you for coming on the show today, Doc. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate it. I really do mean it when I say, please keep on doing what you're doing because it is so damn important in a day and age where most of us like you and me are not allowed to speak on big media anymore. We have to make our own media for, for delivering these kinds of messages.
you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. William Davis and understand more about your super gut, go get his book, Super Gut. We're going to drop a link for it in the podcast notes down below. If you want to get the BiotiQuest probiotic sugar shift product we were speaking about, you can find that over at BiotiQuest.com and use the coupon code KETOK15 for 15% off. That's the product that we referenced with Martha Carlin, who was on the Keto Camp podcast before. Go check out Dr. William Davis and his website and his social media. We'll drop all of that down below, including detailed notes from today's conversation. Please share this episode with a friend, somebody you believe who could get value from this conversation. Leave the Keto Camp podcast a rating and review. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp podcast. I'll see you on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.